If you would turn your attention to the book of Colossians, Colossians 1, chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from our God, from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, on this you have heard before in the world, in the word of faith, in the word of truth, pardon me, the gospel which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you have heard it and understood the grace of God's truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is faithful, a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the spirit. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transformed us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, by him, all things created were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead that in everything he might be preeminent, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. I want to leave it there for now. The supremacy of Christ. The Apostle Paul writes his letter to the Church of Colossae to warn the believers of doctrinal error and to encourage them to continue growing in Christ. The first half of the book of Colossians is a theological masterpiece, which is one of the most profound pieces of scripture where we will find such a lofty and elevated presentation of Christology. The second half is a mini 
ethics course addressing every area in Christian life. Paul progresses from the individual life to the home, to work, to how we should treat one another. The theme of this book is the lordship of Jesus Christ and his sufficiency, not only to save, but his sufficiency to meet our needs in every area. Colossians was written explicitly to defeat the heresy that had arisen in Colossae, which endangered the existence of the church. We can assume based on Paul's response by what we just read that he was dealing with a defective view of Christ. There were some who were denying the real true humanity of Jesus and also not accepting his full deity. Paul appears also to dispute the Jewish emphasis on circumcisions and traditions. The heresy address appears to be either a Jewish Gnosticism, which was a belief that Christ plus secret or a a deeper revelation was needed in order for one to obtain salvation. And Jewish asceticism, which was the thought and the belief that Christ wasn't enough. It was Christ plus the law. Paul does an amazing job of pointing us to the sufficiency of Christ, which we will address the second time if Andy sees it fit for me to come up here. (laughs) As in Paul's day, we too are living in a time where the person of Christ is being attacked. Not just outside of the church, but in the church as well. Outside of the church, many treat Christ with contempt. Too many. Jesus is a mythical person we shouldn't believe in. To others, Jesus Christ is a good teacher, a morally good man, but not God. Inside the church, and when I say inside the church, I'm talking about a Uh, those who call themselves Christian or call themselves a church, but not necessarily a true church because a true church would never have this view of Christ. But to those, he is everything from a socialist, communist, guerrilla fighter who came to overthrow the oppressive system that oppresses the poor and the marginalized. And to others, he is the same-sex embracing, abortion-loving, sin-celebrating, powerless hippie who is all about love. The bro Jesus. You seen the meme? (laughs) But there is coming a day in which the Lord Jesus Christ will return. A day where he will be seen as Lord and righteous judge by all. And at this very sight, every single knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus indeed is Lord of all. And what a glorious day this will be for him, as well as for us, his people. But as important As this prophetic application of these words are, there is an equally important present and personal application 
And that is our theme that we're dealing with, the supremacy of Christ. We, are, we aren't talking about the supremacy of one doctrine over another or one creed over another or one denomination over another. We're talking about one personality overall. The supremacy of Christ is a doctrine surrounding the authority of Jesus in his God nature. In simplest terms, to affirm the supremacy of Christ is to affirm that Jesus is God. Merriam-Webster's dictionary defines supreme as highest in rank or authority or highest in quality. The word supremacy, the synonym for that is someone who is controlling or has controlling power or influence over others. In essence, there is none better. The supreme of something is its ultimate. And Jesus is ultimate in power, ultimate in glory, ultimate in authority, and ultimate in importance. We see this theme developed biblically throughout Colossians, but also in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So what this is saying in simplest terms is that the son is not just the reflection of God's glory. He is God. And he radiates his own essential glory. The son is the exact imprint or representation of the essence of God in time and space. And this can only mean one thing, that he is God. The second person of the triune Godhead, one in essence and one in nature with the Father and the Spirit. But why all of the fuss? Why is this so important? Why is Jesus being or not being supreme the focus of today? It's important because we are living in an age of secularism, Humanity not needing God, atheism, the denial of God, and selfism, a concentration of one's own interests, self-absorption, and self-centeredness. And although this has been going on for so long, now more than ever is at the forefront of our society. The God of this age is the God of beauty, where I am worshipped and I worship others because of how they look aesthetically. And we can see it all through Instagram and social media. Don't look for me on social media. I don't have one. <laughs> we are going further and further away from true Judeo-Christian values and true um, spirituality or true traditional religion. Many people identify themselves as just spiritual, and this can mean a slew of things. The one thing is clear, and we can see it every day, is that there is an assault on truth. And specifically, there is an assault on biblical truth. It's dangerous to expect one person to be the supreme thing or the supreme person to meet your needs in your life, and that's a marriage topic uh, uh, question that we can discuss later on. Um, 
but for one person to meet your spiritual need, actually a God-man, Jesus Christ. I propose to you my first point, that the Lord Jesus Christ alone has the right to be supreme in our lives. And I have some sub-points to this. The Lord Jesus Christ alone has the right to be supreme in our lives. Number one, because he made us. Because he made us. Verse 16 says we are created by him and for him. He made us in order that he may be preeminent or supreme in our lives. Also, and here's the context in full, he created all things visible and invisible thrones and dominions. This is important. The Apostle Paul hears from Epaphras that there are some bad things going on at the church of Colossae. There was heresy going on. The heretics were saying that Christ is not God and that he is not sufficient for salvation. That aside from him, there must be a worship of other spirits, perhaps angels. There must be a special vision or special revelation, special wisdom. In other words, Christ plus works. Paul makes it plain that Jesus is over all things. Christ is called the image of the invisible God and the firstborn of all creation. See this in verse 15. The word firstborn here does not mean that Christ was created as the false doctrine of the Jehovah's Witness. Instead, the term firstborn refers to a position of authority or rank. In other words, those other spirits, the heretics were trying to push on the church. What Paul was saying was he supersedes and outranks them all. He's above all. Sub point two, Christ has the right to be supreme in our lives because he has redeemed us. Colossians 13 through 14, as we read, and I'll read it again. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. We belong to him by legal right, for he has purchased us with his own life and through his own blood, through his infinite sacrifice on Calvary's cross and by the mighty power of his resurrection. God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness as well as his just due wrath because due to our sinfulness and brought us into the kingdom of his beloved son whom he loves to betroth us as his bride. In other words, he saved us from himself for himself. Sub point three, Jesus has the right to be supreme in our lives because God has given him the supremacy. Verse 18 tells us this. When we compare John 5, 22 and 23, 
which reads the following, For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father. Colossians 1, 15 through 20 gives us a breakdown of how Jesus Christ is supreme. Number one, he is supreme in likeness, verse 15. Number two, he is supreme in power, verse 15. Three, he is supreme in creation, verse 16. Four, he is supreme in eternity, verse 17. Five, he is supreme in authority, verse 17. Six, He is supreme in victory. He is supreme in the new creation, verse 18. And he is supreme over the church, verse 18. In Matthew 12, our Lord declares his supremacy as well by saying that he is Matthew 12, verse, uh, pardon me, Matthew 12, verse 6. He declares that he is greater than the temple. He declares in verse 8 that he is greater than the devil. He declares in Matthew 12, 41, that he is greater than Solomon. In verse 42, he says that he is greater than them all. So my question for you this morning, is Jesus Christ supreme in your life? Is Jesus Christ prominent or preeminent? Though Jesus has the right to occupy first place in our lives, he doesn't always do so. Luke 9.59, we see the story of disciples following Christ. And they say, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first say bye to my family, one says, my friends. Let me first bury my father. Let me first pursue my own ambitions, my own pleasure, my own desires? What are the let me first that you are wrestling with? What are the let me first that you are desiring before Christ? Point number two, the Lord Jesus may be present in our lives, yet not supreme in our lives. The Lord Jesus may be present in our lives, yet not supreme in our lives. To some, in some measure, he is present, or we would like him to be in our national life and our political life. And uh, we just celebrated 20 years or 20-something years of 9-11. For those of you who don't know my story, I am a 9-11 survivor. Um, uh, anyone interested in hearing about that, you can approach me on another occasion. But it's interesting that when national tragedy happens, that's when you see not just the patriotism, but churches are flooded. It's an influx of people. And we sing God bless America loudly in our ball games and 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 you know and, and we and we say and only God we trust. 
but he's by no means supreme because after the wounds start to heal, we go back to our old ways. Many of us desire his blessing, but not his rule. Many of us desire the king's vault, but not the king. But what we're missing is that the ultimate treasure that any of us can have is the king himself. Point three, he may be prominent, but he isn't preeminent for many. He may be prominent, but he is not preeminent. Now, there's a difference between preeminence and prominence. Prominence is the affinity you may have for your favorite celebrity, the person who in society is wealthy or elite, fortune, fame, that's prominence. Preeminence is a person who supersedes all of those things. Preeminence is someone of the utmost importance. There is no one greater than them. Is Jesus preeminent in our lives? Is he preeminent in our church today? When the Lord Jesus is supreme, certain things, certain characteristics are seen or certain things follow. And you can write these down. Number one, there is a supreme love for his person. There is a supreme love for the person of Christ. We love him more than any other person or thing. And yes, as R.C. says, we will never be able to love him perfectly because we fall short, but is Christ your ultimate affection and desire? We desire the king, again, not the king's vault. Number two, there is unquestionable obedience to his command. John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. However, we don't follow him and obey him out of fear and obligation. We do so in light of his grace and mercy. Number three, there's a complete submission to his will. When the Lord Jesus occupies the foremost place of our lives, we shall stand to serve him in spite of affliction, in spite of the tough times that will come, and if necessary, dare even die for him. If you are here today and you do not know Jesus as Lord and Savior, this speaks to you as well. Perhaps you are here today because someone invited you and you're trying to gain a better understanding of the Christian faith and learn more about the person of Christ. When trying to gain a better understanding of who God is, and how Jesus himself is God, this is what Paul tells us about him. My hope is that you may 
not only receive this, but that God may use this to draw you to himself. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Therefore, I can get to know him through God. Paul writes in verse 15, the son is the image of the invisible God. The Greek word here for image is the word icon. To some, this word can, icon can be an evil thing because it refers to a picture or statue that people worship as idols. Yet here, Jesus is called an icon. An icon is an exact replica or perfect copy. Jesus is the invisible image of the invisible God, but he isn't a copy, but the direct image of God himself. In other words, Jesus came down from heaven and put a human suit on. The human suit is Jesus Christ, the God-man. In verse 19, he adds, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. In John 1.18, no one has ever seen God, but the one and only son who himself is God has made him known. When the disciples wanted to see the father, Jesus answered them in John 14, 9, and he told them, if anyone has seen me, they have seen the father, for I and the father are one. Here's what all of this means. All the fullness of God dwells in Jesus Christ. Paul was trying to clear up some false teachings. Again, like I reiterated earlier, and they use the word fullness to refer to a combination of supernatural influences. But Paul Paul borrowed their own word and elevated Christ above all religious ideas. Jesus, again, as I stated, is God with skin on. The implication is clear then. If you want to get to know God, or if you want to be saved from his wrath, get to know God the Christ of scripture. When Jesus, when you see Jesus, you see the very heart of God. Also, Jesus is the glue of my existence so I can trust him with my chaos. Verse 17, he is before all things and in him all things hold together. Jesus not only spoke the creation into being, he also maintains the creation. He is creator and sustainer. He holds all things together. I think of him as the glue of my existence. Without Jesus, my life is worthless. Jesus brings a singular focus to my life because he holds all things together. I can give him my life. See, the reason why this is important is because there's a reason why many of us feel like we're without a home, spiritually speaking, constantly searching and seeking. There's a reason why money can't bring us joy. There's a reason why sex can't fulfill every physical need or desire for love and acceptance. There's a reason there is um, uh, a degree or a great job or having children, being married and having children or having a nice house or gaining a, no, a, a nice fancy car or obtaining prestige. There's a reason all of those things outside of Christ leaves us empty. Because if Jesus isn't 
the one who's preeminently holding it all together, if he's not the focus, then it's all in vain. If we are searching for those things outside of him, it's only a matter of time before everything falls apart. Joy, love, peace, identity, acceptance, family, home, all of those things are good. But because many times we choose to be autonomous, our own gods, it falls apart. It started in the garden with Adam and Eve. And now we too are in enmity without God, in enmity towards God without Christ. We are left searching for all this, but even when we gain it, if done outside of God, we will never experience the fullness of the joy of Christ. Christ is also the leader of the church. He is the good shepherd. Verse 18, he is the head of the body, the church. Paul's favorite allegory, I don't know if you've read Paul much, but uh, if you have, if you are familiar with him, his favorite allegory is the body and Christ being the head. He uses it several times in scripture. The point here is that Jesus is the brains of the church, the head of the church. He is in charge of the church. Now, you and I have been in some churches that Jesus is not the head. And that's a sad sight. I just shared with you briefly of my past experiences where Jesus no longer was the head. BLM became the head. Social justice became the head. All of those things became preeminent over Christ. And when we see that, it's a sad sight. But since Christ is the head of the true church, then here at PBC, us and Pastor Andy, we can commit our church to him because he is the good shepherd who nurtures, who protects, who died for us and sustains us. The church is the spiritual body of Christ. We are all different, yet we are one through Jesus, the brains of the operation. As we commit our church to him, Jesus will bring the growth however he sees fit. Also, Jesus is the standard for eternal life, so I can trust him with my life forever. And this is for my friends who are still on the fence about Christ. <laughs> the second verse, the second half of verse 18, he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that everything he may be preeminent. The Bible calls the second Adam, the Bible calls Jesus the second Adam. The first Adam sinned and led the human race towards destruction. The second Adam, Jesus, lived without sin and led all who would believe on him towards redemption. Jesus died a physical death, yet rose from the dead as God raised him 
from the dead and gave him a resurrection, resurrected body. He, walks, he walked around the earth for 40 days, showing up here and there, recognizable to some and to others not, sometimes interacting with his disciples. He proved that he wasn't a ghost. Then he departed to heaven where he is preparing a place for all who will believe on him. And lastly, Jesus is the payment for my sins by which I can be made right through God. For in him, verse 19, Colossians 1, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. God reconciles us to himself through Jesus Christ. The reconciliation is available for you today. This reconciliation was accomplished as Jesus hung on a cross, taking on your punishment and mine. Jesus's blood came through Jesus's blood comes forgiveness of sins and the pardon from God's perfect just justice to punish sin. My hope and prayer in this introduction to the series is that you will leave here for the believers examining our hearts and asking the Holy Spirit to show us if Jesus is just prominent or preeminent, that we may surrender our lives to him every single day. To my friends who are here, who are still on the fence of, over Christ, today is the day for salvation. If you leave this building today, and you go about life without yielding to Christ Jesus, where he is Lord and Savior, and you die in your sins, you will not only perish physically, but spiritually for all eternity in hell, where the perfect, just, Wrath of God is pouring on you continuously. But there is hope. And that hope is Jesus Christ, the preeminent one, the supreme one, the creator of all things, who saved us from himself for himself. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the power of your word. Lord, I thank you for the privilege of being able to share this brief sermon. And my hope is that 
everyone who is here may leave edified, convicted, but that for those who don't know you, you may draw them near and save them. Lord, look at our church. We pray for our beloved pastor. We pray for his wife, Emma. And we pray for this bundle of joy, the new addition, baby Andrew. Lord, the burden has only gotten heavier for our pastor. We pray that you may continue to encourage him and we pray that you may raise up more men in this congregation to help alleviate the burden. And we ask these things because as the text shows, you are the head of the church and you grow it how you want, when you want, for your glory. Amen.